Hi, we're the Denver Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with Decrom. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever or whatever you guys kittens are. This is Sports Crunch with Decrom. I'm your host, David Cromwell. A few days ago, our good friend George Bremer of the Herald Bulletin in Anderson, Indiana, joined us to preview the 2023 Indianapolis Colts. Today, we will do the same for the 2023 Denver Broncos, who exactly two weeks from when you hear these words have their first training camp practice of the season. Last year, the Mile High City was abundant with hope. The Broncos made a blockbuster trade for nine-time Pro Bowl quarterback Russell Wilson, and it seemed as if their six-season playoff drought was coming to an end. Unfortunately, the 2022 Broncos season turned out to be the exact opposite of what fans were expecting. Numerous key players suffered season-ending injuries, the team looked undisciplined, and Russell Wilson often looked like a player on his last legs as the team stumbled to a 5-12 record. As a result, the new Broncos ownership decided to make some sweeping changes, firing head coach Nathaniel Hackett after 15 games and eventually replacing him with Sean Payton, for whom they traded multiple draft picks to the New Orleans Saints. With Payton and his impressive resume now running the show, Broncos country is once again filled with hope that good times are near. But the franchise currently finds itself stuck at a crossroads, and the 2023 season will likely determine, first and foremost, what the path back to relevancy looks like. So what should we expect from these new-look Broncos this year? Here to help us answer that question and a lot more is Broncos and NFL insider Brandon Cristal of KOA Radio in Denver. BK, it was such a pleasure interviewing you at the Senior Bowl last year, and it is even more so having you with us today. How are you, man? I'm doing great, doing great, trying to enjoy this last little break, sneak in some golf and spend some time with my kids before training camp and get it going here on July 28th in Denver. Oh, absolutely. Hope you enjoy the final two weeks of your well-deserved break as well. And now let's talk some Broncos. As happy as I'm sure the Broncos are to have Sean Payton right now, it's worth noting that he initially didn't want the Denver job at all. As your colleague at uh, KOA, Benjamin Albright, reported, as of November of last year, Sean Payton was telling literally everyone in his orbit that he thought Russell Wilson was cooked and he wouldn't take the Broncos job if it opened up. As a matter of fact, he preferred the Rams, Cowboys, or Chargers head coaching jobs and highly considered remaining at Fox for the 2023 season and wait for one of those three gigs to become available in early 2024. What made Sean Payton change his mind and decide to take the Broncos job rather than stay in broadcasting for another year? I think he was just itching to get back into coaching, that the year off kind of recharges batteries. He and his wife really like Southern California, and so the Chargers being right down the road with a franchise quarterback, a young franchise quarterback in hand, seemed like a perfect fit. And then the Rams with their resources, if Sean McVay decided to move on, they have Stafford for now, but I assume Sean Payton figured he could go and get a franchise type quarterback at some point and rely on Dan Kroenke's resources there. And then obviously the ties to Dallas from his time coaching with Bill Parcells before he took the head job in New Orleans. And of course, the year that he was suspended from the NFL, coaching his son in, in high school ball or, or youth ball, I guess, there in, I got to right there in middle school. I really should see that movie. Uh, <laughs> but we, we understand who the Dallas Cowboys are, what the Dallas Cowboys are. That dynamic would have been interesting because Sean absolutely runs the show in Denver. And I think maybe that's what was appealing. 
Les Snead's a really strong GM in, in L.A. Not that they wouldn't have worked together, but I don't know if Sean would have gotten final say on the Rams. And I don't think Tom Telesco fired Brandon Staley, would fire Brandon Staley, because I don't think he wanted to lose his job, potentially, or his, his power, I suppose. And so with those jobs, and, and obviously Mike McCarthy not being let go in Dallas, but so those two jobs weren't available, then Sean talked to the you know so, several franchises this this round of of job openings in January and started to realize that maybe Russ does have something left in the tank understanding all of the all of the things that went on last year starting to get some insight into why things didn't work here and looking at at the roster and where they could tweak it learning a little bit more about GM George Payton and how he operates and how he wants to build a roster and how he's maybe the perfect complement to Sean because he's so so comfortable being in the shadows, if you will, and being, you know, playing second fiddle and letting Sean be out in, in front in the spotlight because George is just a, a scout at heart. And then the Walton Penner group being the richest ownership group in the NFL and the second richest in all of sports. I think he realized that Denver, not that it's a sleeping giant, but it's certainly been dormant for a while. And he understands all the great things about this franchise and now the potential with the Walton Penner group to take things to new heights. He had to convince Tom Benson along the way, why they needed this, why they needed that, as he was creating that culture there in New Orleans and, and changing the way they operate. In Denver, he doesn't have to do a lot of convincing. He says, we need this, and, and they write a check. Oh, that is a very, very good point. And Sean Payton, like uh, George Payton, is known for being very meticulous, and thus he took all those factors into consideration at the end of the day and decided to take the Broncos' job uh, after all. And hopefully it works wonders for the Broncos uh, down the road. And the first order of business for Sean Payton in Denver is trying to fix Russell Wilson, who had by far, as I alluded to in the intro, the worst year of his career in 2022. In your view, what is the most realistic expectation for Russell Wilson this season? I think in a Sean Payton offense with the weapons they have, less than 25 touchdowns is disappointing. More than 30 won't blow my mind. More than 40 would a little bit just because we don't see more than 40 touchdowns very often. But if he ended up with 30, 31, 32, that's not crazy. And and I was talking to somebody today about Russ, and and they asked a, about kind of the notion that he's that he's done or or what happened or this or that. And I, I I've said this plenty of times. You don't accidentally throw 300 touchdowns in the NFL, 292 in the regular season with Seattle. I understand they had a strong running game and obviously a good defense for a number of years. But 300 touchdowns is a real number, and, and that's where he's passed that now, but that's where John Elway was on the all-time list, and I'm not sure what the rankings are because I just don't have it in front of me. But, you know, one season, that could be kind of fluky, or even a couple seasons, right? That can be a good run. But in, in a decade there in Seattle, they went to the playoffs eight times. You mentioned the nine Pro Bowls. He showed that when you simplify things and maybe let Russ get out of his own way like they did in the, in the final two games of the season after Nathaniel Hackett was let go, that Russ still can make some plays. Are his legs going to allow him to operate the way they used to? No, but can they still allow him to buy some time and, and scan the field a little bit more or make a, a play with his legs just to extend the drive? I think so, and I think that Sean Payton is going to continue to instill to Russ that you don't need the home run ball, you don't need the big play, just take what's out there, take that easy cheese, and, and keep moving the sticks, and you'll find the end zone the offense will have success. And you look at how successful Sean Payton's offenses have been, there's no reason to think that that's going to change with the weapons and with Russell Wilson on the center. 
Oh, absolutely. Those uh, final two games of last season uh, were definitely a sign of hope that Russell Wilson actually does have uh, some stuff uh, left uh, in the tank. And uh, Sean Payton, uh, known for his uh, work with Drew Brees and uh, Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill in New Orleans, uh, is going to do everything he can to put him in the uh, right position to make those plays as often uh, as possible. And uh, given what uh, Ben reported about what Sean Payton thinks of or thought of uh, Russell Wilson's playing, uh, just how short of a leash is Russ on? Like if he starts out the season plays just as bad as he did last year, could we see Jared Stidham start by week five, if not sooner? Yeah, I don't want to put a, a timetable on it because I think every game tells a story, right? And yeah. how does Russ look if they're two and three, one and four, oh and five? If they're oh and five and it's obvious that it's Russ's fault, then yeah, they, they might make the move that earlier, oh and four, whatever it may be. But to just sit here and say, oh, he's got till week four, he's got till week six, I think that can be a little, I don't say unfair, but it seems like a silly exercise when you got to see how things unfold what does his health look like along the offensive line how do they develop continuity with some of the additions that they've made and Garrett Bowles coming back healthy and then you know I, I mentioned those weapons outside but how healthy are those guys can J Jerry Judy replicate what he did late in the year so uh what will the running game look like behind behind Russell Wilson so all that being said they are poised to potentially swallow a big cap number if they want to move on from Russ. If they do think that he is, in fact, done being a good quarterback, that he's cooked or washed or whatever word you want to use, they brought in Jared Stidham for two reasons. I think they like his upside, but we've seen him in New England and and in Vegas look competent, and he's got great intangibles. I remember talking to him at the Senior Bowl, and he reminded me a lot of Mark Sanchez in terms of the leadership and the charisma and the way his teammates rally behind him. But He's, I'm not sure that he is a true franchise-type quarterback, because I think if he was, he probably already would be. I'm not, I'm not saying that he won't get there. But if you decide to go with Stidham and you moved on from Russ, he kind of allows two things. He's relatively athletic. He can throw the ball okay. But if he plays well enough, you, you stick with him for a little bit. And if he doesn't, he can be your bridge, who's here with Sean Payton as you try to find whoever that young quarterback is. And we know how strong the quarterback draft appears to be obviously with Caleb Williams at the top next year. And then Drake may, and you could go down the list and then it's about five or six guys that could go as a third quarterback as it stands. Now we'll see does Michael Penix or Bo Nix or Shadur Sanders. And you know, there's a couple that I'm leaving off, but can those guys jump past Drake? Man, I don't think anyone's jumping past Caleb Williams. Everybody said if Caleb Williams came out this year, he would have been the first QB taken. And so I don't think the Broncos will be bad enough to get in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes. At, at the same time, you just never know how season is going to unfold. So I don't think he's on a, I don't think Sean Payton's going into it with sitting down with George Payton, with Greg Penner and, and the rest of the ownership group and saying, all right, we're going to circle week four. If, if Russ isn't dialed in by then, then we're moving on. I, I don't think that's how they look at it. I think they want to see, is the team improving? How is Russ playing? How does he respond to adversity? How does he handle the coaching from Sean during the week and then obviously in game as, as they go through it. Cause it's one thing to do it in the spring and even in training camp, but how, how does Russ handle being coached by an offensive minded coach? Cause he had Pete Carroll all those years. And then he obviously did have Nathaniel Hack. I'm not saying Nathaniel Hack is not offensive minded, but an offensive mastermind, which is certainly what Sean Payton yeah. is. But I, I don't think that there's a, a circled data on the calendar saying if he doesn't have it locked in by now, then let's just move on. 
Definitely. It's a fluid situation indeed. And I'm glad you mentioned the next year's quarterback class, because before we dive further into our 2023 season preview for the Broncos, I want to play a little bit of the long game here. While there is a way out of Russell Wilson's contract after the season, as you mentioned, it will cost the Broncos a total of $85 million in dead money through 2025. However, a lot of big contracts the Broncos have right now can easily be discarded after this year, such as a Garrett Bowles, Randy Gregory, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, and DJ Jones. And uh, getting rid of those contracts, along with Russell Wilson's contract, makes such a dead cap hit more tolerable to swallow. If the season does go south, with Russell Wilson showing he's beyond repair and the Broncos only winning, say, five or six games again, can you see Sean Payton embracing the challenge of doing a full-scale rebuild or something close to it? Well, going back to having the resources that he does, you saw how much money the Penners or the Walton Penner group was willing to spend in free agency. They don't want to do that every year, but the point is he also signed a five-year contract that's going to pay him more than working at Fox TV would pay him, and I think he likes money. Mm -hmm. Not that he needs money. I think he's probably doing just fine. Uh, but that being said, he knows that he, his fate isn't tied to the success of Russell Wilson as it relates to this job with the Broncos, at least certainly not in the short term. Right. And, and so I, I think that he probably has a stomach for it, but I don't know if he's in a hurry to, to do that. Right. He was lucky to kind of catch lightning in a bottle with Drew Brees coming off injury and, and failing a physical in Miami and the Dolphins not wanting to roll that dice. And, and obviously in New Orleans, we saw what, what what magic they were able to make all those years where the offense was really good. But you talk about some of those contracts, it doesn't make sense to sign Jerry Judy to a long-term deal, which is what they would need to do, and keep both Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick. In fact, there's plenty of people that will argue you didn't need to sign Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick both to long-term deals because I don't know if people are beating the door down for Tim Patrick. We know how much he means to the Broncos, but I don't know how many people around the league necessarily knew that. DJ Jones, you'll see if they'll rework his deal. If he plays as well as he did certainly b before – the season got away from him, and I think he's a little banged up late. He was as good as advertised as, the, you know, one of the best run defensive linemen there is in the NFL. So I, I don't think you move on from him. Garrett Bowles is going to be an interesting interesting observation all year long. Does he return to the all-pro form from a couple of years ago, or is he the Garrett Bowles that so many Broncos fans booed when he was getting called for holding? And he's coming up the injury. We'll, we'll see. Obviously, being around Sean Payton help, should help everybody on the offense and having – you know, uh, I guess more continuity on the offensive line once they get, once they get obviously that chemistry and he's going to have Ben Powers next to him, another big free agent signing. So uh, I don't think that they're ready to just move on from everybody there because you're going to have to keep one of those receivers. In a lot of ways, Judy makes the most sense because he was your first round pick and he's extremely unique. And if he's going to demand a new contract, it means he's going to have played well enough to demand a new contract. But you can get creative with with the cap math, and and we know the cap's going to keep going up. So I, I think that they could stomach it if they need to. But again, I don't think they're planning to go into the season saying, okay, if everything goes sideways, look at these five or six young quarterbacks that we like even after Caleb Williams. But as the season goes on, who knows? Maybe, maybe they'll say, yeah, let's do this. We're going to get one of those college kids, put, put them behind Stidham, and, and in a year or two, they'll be ready to go. And we'll be able to structure our team the, we know that, look, we've just seen now, obviously, the Bucks and the Rams and the Chiefs, at least the second time around, have a very high-priced quarterback. But forever, right, a quarterback could only make, what was that number? It was like 19% of the salary cap and anything over that. I can't remember exactly what the number was, or 17%, whatever that number was, 16%. And so we know that all these front-line quarterbacks are, are making more than that. But 
the easiest way to try to build a championship roster. You look what the Eagles had with Jalen Hurts. When you've got a quarterback on a rookie deal, then you can add in, in other areas. So if they if they did have to go that way, I don't think Sean is going to be bashful and, and try to jump ship. But I don't think that's his plan either because he just didn't have too many seasons where they came anywhere near needing to rebuild. But he also had Drew Brees throughout the entirety of his career or, you know, the bulk of his career, I guess. Oh, of course. And I'm glad uh, you uh, mentioned uh, the salary cap because uh, obviously, you know, when Sean Payton was with the Saints and even today, even without Sean Payton, the Saints uh, employ a very unique uh, manipulation strategy for their salary cap in terms of kicking uh, multiple cans down the road for multiple years on end to try to keep as much of their core uh, intact as possible. Do you anticipate uh, the Broncos using the same strategy for their salary cap uh, in the years ahead? Well, I guess it depends on if Taysom Hill becomes available. <laughs> he's obviously kind of the poster child for that for that strategy. But they've got a, a really good cap expert, and and so I think that he, Richard Tata, will continue to work with George Payton and the rest of the front office, and obviously Sean, Sean Payton to try to to do the cap gymnastics that you need to do. But I don't know if they need to go out of their way to continue to push money down the road if they don't if they don't have to we know they spent a bunch of money obviously in free agency but i don't think that's their plan every year and that's not a truly viable way to build a long-term successful roster it can help you in the short term for sure but you have to be able to draft and develop and thankfully with the changes in the nfl rules over the last few years you can have much bigger practice squads and so that allows you to kind of hold on to your own guys, assuming other teams don't sign them to their active roster and, and they agree to go, you know, depending on what the situation is. And so because of that, you need to be able to utilize that, that development tool as well as just continuing to draft. Well, we think George Payton hit a home run in his first draft, his second draft, we think, you know, provided some, some guys that can be contributors and starters, but we'll see what happens with Nick Benito and Greg Dulcich. Damari Mathis certainly, appears to be one of your top two or three corners and, and will either line up outside and then move into the nickel the way Chris Harris used to when Bradley Roby would come on the field a lot or DeMario Mathis would play outside and Riley Moss could play the nickel. They obviously have uh, one more year with Kwan Williams, so he'll play the nickel plenty. Uh, but uh, I, I think that to assume they're just going to mimic the, the cap gymnastics that the Saints felt obligated to display because that's what Sean did there feels a little premature, but it could be exactly what they're planning on doing. Yeah, it's going to be very fascinating. I'm glad you uh, mentioned uh, free agency in the draft because uh, that leads us directly to our next uh, two questions. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, due to a lack of premium draft capital this year, the Broncos used the deep pockets of the Walton Penner ownership group to dole out a whopping $235 million to nine free agents, including guard Penn Powers, uh, right tackle Mike McGlinchey, running back Samaji P. Ryan, and defensive lineman Zach Allen. Which of those four free agent signings do you see making the biggest impact for the Broncos this season? It should be Mike McGlinchey, only because the Broncos' right tackle has been a bit of a disaster <laughs> over the last few years. Garrett Bowles, we know, has been up and down, and obviously breaking his leg last year, that certainly was the first time he dealt with any long-term injuries. Ben Powers could be very solid at guard, but the Broncos have been okay at guard, Dalton Reisner, I, I think, was a solid player. I don't think he was an all-world player, and that's why you, you've seen you know teams weren't rushing to sign him in free agency or whatever, but solid. At right tackle, it's been just one failed signing after another, whether it was Manalik Watson or, or Jawan James, right? And those two are at the top of the list is probably the two worst signings of the John Elway era, and they both played right tackle. So 
you spend huge money on Mike McGlinch, who's probably on that short list of better players to not have played in a Pro Bowl in his career to this point. So can he be a Pro Bowl player? Obviously, with a quarterback like Russell Wilson and the aforementioned weapons, you think that they can, especially in a in a Sean Payton offense. And then you, when you've got an offensive line coach like Zach Streif, who played for 12 years in the Sean Payton offense at, at right tackle, McGlinchey talked about how beneficial that is for him to be able to talk to a guy that knows everything that he is seeing and and was literally in those shoes. So I think it's McGlinchey. I think Zach Allen could, could obviously be a nice contributor, but the defense has been really good as as is, whether it's Shelby Harris or Draymond Jones or, or now Zach Allen being asked to you know be an, an impact player, especially trying to generate interior pass rush. I, I think that that could be big, but because right tackle has been such a revolving door, unless Samaji P. Ryan turns out to be a pro bowler, I wouldn't expect that with the thought too, that Javante Williams is coming that, uh, well, you know, whether that's week one, ready to roll or, you know, a few weeks into the season, whatever it may be. It's, it's hard to think that P Ryan will have more of an impact than McGlinchey who's going to start. Obviously you hope every single snap the entire season at right tackle. Definitely, definitely, definitely. The Broncos desperately need Mike McGlinchey to stop the revolving door at that all important right tackle position. And as I alluded to a moment ago, the Broncos only had five draft picks this year due to the Russell Wilson and Sean Payton trades, but I think they did the absolute best they possibly could shorthanded as they selected guys who are well-equipped to make a big impact on offense, defense, and or special teams in the long run. That said, it's kind of difficult to see what uh, Marvin Mims, Drew Sanders, Riley Moss, J.L. Skinner, and Alex Forsyth are going to do in their rookie year. Which of the Broncos' five 2023 draft picks do you anticipate playing the biggest role this season? Mims probably has a good opportunity because of how many receivers this offense can employ and his ability to really take the top off the defense and return punts if they need him to. I, I can say punts and kicks, but odds are he won't return kicks, but certainly uh, have an opportunity to return punts. I'm not sure jumping past the the, the two guys they took in the third round, J.L. Skinner. I can't swear he'll make the team. He might, but he could also be a candidate to be on a practice squad. He had a higher grade on most people's boards before he got hurt in the pre-draft process working out. Drew Sanders, they really like. I don't know if he's going to steal a lot of snaps from Josie Jewell and Alex Singleton, and, and certainly those guys are, are your starters this year, two guys that – know the defense inside and out really play well together and are great for drew sanders to learn behind this very easily could be joseph jewel's last year with the broncos when, when you look at that deal he signed just a couple years ago two years 11 million bucks i want to say singleton's deal was three years 18 so i know they really like him i know he was a priority as was cream jackson even in year 14 when when the new coaching staff came in and so I think Riley Moss has a lot of interesting upside. I actually talked to a couple scouts here this week about him, uh, in, including a, a scout that covers the Midwest for a, another NFL team who told me that he's not sure that he has as much hip fluidity as you'd like and maybe has trouble at, time, at times tracking a deep ball, but he can really run and in general has good instincts. So we'll see, do they play him? in the nickel just to try to get him on the field do they play him outside and let he and Damari Mathis battle for that for that other starting job opposite of Sertan so I think the easy answer is Mims because he's the guy that's likely penciled in to have the most snaps we'll see about Forsyth too but that feels like he's developmental if he in fact makes the roster and I'm not sure that he will versus say being a, a practice squad player a lot of that is just how do they handle their roster construction 
Indeed. And now let's talk about arguably the two biggest injury headlines swirling over the Broncos as training camp nears. Last season, week four, running back Javante Williams suffered a gruesome knee injury, which included a torn ACL, a torn MCL, and posterior lateral corner damage as well. There was even some buzz at the combine that suggested he might not be able to play at all this year. But fast forward to just this past weekend when Javante Williams told you and your colleagues in the Denver media that he plans to be cleared for contact by the start of training camp. While he himself also cautioned that it's up to the team, and rightfully so, it's been reported that they have been nothing short of amazed with how he's attacked his rehab. Do you think the odds are that Javante Williams plays in week one or shortly thereafter? It seems that way. And what's interesting is, right, I certainly heard that buzz two at the combine, but it was from other media. The couple of folks that I trust within the organization said it seems like he's right on schedule. It's not ahead, but we'll see. And then I think it surprised a lot of people when OTAs rolled around and he was out there and then had his knee brace off some. Now you're not going to do very much, but he was cleared for contact. And you mentioned to talk to him on Sunday at his joint youth football camp here with Pat Sertan Jr. And he was asked, uh, how was he even cleared for OTAs? And said, just through his hard work. And some people just heal fast, right? Everyone marveled at Adrian Peterson's all-time recovery from a, a torn ACL that won him the MVP in the in the 2012 season when Peyton, or 2013 season, I'm sorry, when, right, is my math right on that? 2013? 2012 season, when Peyton Manning also could have probably won the MVP uh, as well, but because Adrian went for 2,000 yards, he won, but not, not to get too sidetracked, that recovery is kind of the gold standard. Still, though, if you go look at those early games for the Vikings that year, AD didn't have 150, 170, 165 right up the bat. It was like 74, 80, 101, you know, and it, and then by like week five or six, that's when it, when it took off. So it, it's obvious that Javante Williams is – trending in the right direction and and i was saying all that about adrian peterson say maybe he's just a quick healer that he his his body is such that it's recovering faster and that will allow the broncos to really do what they want and, and try to exploit his talents in the run game and then you complement it with some ajp ryan and and whoever else you're going to mix in there with those guys but i think that based on what i've seen to this point and then talking with javante the other day that it will not surprise me at all i do expect to see him week one against the Raiders and, and certainly rounding back into form sooner than later. Yeah, going to be a remarkable recovery story if he uh, finds uh, at least some of that form he had uh, during his uh, rookie season. And during the final phase of the offseason program, the Broncos made another big free agency splash by signing former Chiefs pass rusher Frank Clark. However, arguably the biggest reason they did so is because Barrett Browning, who flashed enormous promise rushing the passer last season, suffered a torn meniscus as, and is expected to miss the first six games of the regular season on the PUP list. Do you think it's more likely we see Barrett Browning on the field at some point this season, or is there a good chance he might not play at all in 2023? Keep in mind, uh, I remember Dwayne Wade uh, telling uh, reporters that rushing back from a meniscus injury was the biggest mistake he ever made in his career. So something to keep in mind there. Yeah, and Baron Browning, unfortunately, has been bitten by the injury bug, whether it was here and there at Ohio State or not being able to get a full offseason in before his rookie year and then them playing him inside. They obviously committed to him outside where Alfred Williams, who I work with every day at KOA and obviously was a hell of a pass rusher in his own right, last year early on when Baron Browning was flashing that talent, said that's a $17 million a year player. 
that's the kind of pass rusher he is. And I, I tend to trust Big Al when it comes to pass rush expertise and, and identifying pass rush talent. The other thing, too, though, worth noting, and I guess your question was, will we see him? Yes, I do think we'll see him on the field. For how long? I don't know. But Randy Gregory's on the other side as your other starter opposite of Baron Browning. And Randy Gregory, even after he got past all of his off-field stuff, has also been bitten by the injury bug in Dallas. Well, I don't think he's ever played more than 10 or 12 games. And then last year, he, he missed, and you probably have the number in front of you, but he missed double-digit games as well, right? Yeah. And he's yeah, a guy 11. that's a passionate player, and you can see his physical talent. He's a difference maker. And if he could stay on the field for 17 games, he's the type of player that could win Defensive Player of the Year. That's how talented he is, even if people may not expect it, and they're looking for maybe some other big names like a TJ Water and Aaron Donald could do to take home that hardware, Micah Parsons, Randy's little teammate there in Dallas. But because of that, I wasn't surprised when they did bring Frank Clark in. At the same time, I guess I was still kind of surprised. It's also maybe an admission. They like Jonathan Cooper. They like him as part of the rotation. Nick Benito is not where they want him to be, especially when playing the run. Now, look, there's also times when I talk to people in Kansas City where in the middle of the game, they'll say, is Frank Clark even active? But then come playoff time, and obviously we know the Broncos want to get back there. Frank Clark, he is cut from the same cloth as Vaughn Miller. And, and we know that you know when the lights are brightest and the games count the most, Frank Clark has been lights out, especially in the three runs to the Super Bowl and the two wins. So uh, I think that it was a smart deal, and it it's good for Clark because it, it gets some nice money. And then if he has a, a huge year, he could probably get even bigger money somewhere else, you know, a two- or three-year deal. And it's good for the Broncos because it gives them quality depth while these other guys are either trying to battle through injuries or figuring out how to play the game. Uh, yes, and you mentioned Jonathan Cooper. I recall Sean Payton uh, telling you guys uh, that he was a player that really stood out in the offseason program. Uh, ha did, has he uh, made uh, some uh, strides, according to the Broncos, to get more playing time this year? I think so. And, and because Baron Browning is going to start the year on, on PUP, that's the expectation. And we just don't know where Nick Benito is in his development. There's no reason to think that going into it, Jonathan Cooper doesn't play heavy rotational snaps, kind of splitting with Frank Clark, maybe more than Randy Gregory early. And so I think that, you know, we'll see when we get into training camp, but John Cooper, he has a nose for the ball, right? He's around the football. We saw that as a rookie. He comes as a seventh rounder out of Ohio state, same school, obviously teammates of Baron Browning. And we saw, we saw him flash, and then we saw it at times in year two. But, yeah, there does seem to be upside, and that would be uh, another feather in George Payton's cap because he obviously played as a rookie. But if he could become an impact player as part of that rotation where you're talking five-plus sacks in, in a year consistently or seven, eight, nine sacks, then it's a home run. We've got a seventh round of the table to do that. So I, I do think it's fair to expect to see Jonathan Cooper playing – significant snaps early in the year oh absolutely and staying with the uh, pass rush for a moment uh drew sanders the uh first of two broncos third round picks this year he uh, might have uh, specialized being an off-ball linebacker at arkansas but before uh, he went to arkansas he was a designated pass rusher to alabama and uh, the razorbacks still lined him up uh, on the edge uh, several times uh last season and he uh, had several sacks last season as well uh, do you think it's out of the question that uh, the Broncos could have a package of plays for Drew Sanders on defense this year to line up uh, on edge while they groom him to succeed Josie Jewell uh, in 2024 no I don't think that's uh, out of their own possibility at all and in fact because of the injury questions at some of those spots 
outside with, with some of those players that have these injury histories. And, and Frank Clark's not getting any younger. I, you know, his injury history is, is nowhere near as extensive as Randy Gregory's or even what Baron Browning's is in his young career. But he's obviously getting up there in, in years. So I don't think it's out of the wrong possibility at all. I do think they want Drew Sanders to be an inside linebacker in this defense and very likely succeed Josie Jewell. They do, I think, still like Jonas Griffith, too, who's obviously coming back from injury. But, yeah, I think that it would – if we don't see Drew Sanders – on the edge, that'll be more of a surprise. I'm not saying we'll see it every game, but there's probably going to be a game where he ends up having to be one of the top four guys in the in the outside linebacker rotation, just based on on head count and, and need because of injury or, or where they are. So yeah, I would think that y- you might see him out there as part of a package. And if he is out there, how effective is he in the NFL when he hasn't lined up off the edge anywhere near as much at Arkansas? You could argue that in practice at Alabama, he's going up against NFL guys on both sides of the ball anyway, typically. So I, I do think that that we will see him. I just don't know. It, you know, it's kind of that, that deal, too, where if you line him up outside, he's not getting double teamed. You have to account for him because he's going to make a play, right? He can't find the quarterback. But that doesn't mean like, oh, he's out there. Let's go. That means he's rushing, you know, so we're going to chip or whatever unless he proves to be that effective. But, you know, we, I, I mentioned Micah Parsons, and, and I don't want to say that, that Drew Sanders <laughs> is Micah Parsons by any means. But you see the versatility that you have with with Micah Parsons and you move them around. And I think about they're not the same player at all. But Isaiah Simmons obviously has extreme versatility. And I think Vance Joseph had maybe a, a tricky time trying to figure out where to use Simmons exactly when, when he got the talented linebacker, DB, whatever you want to call him, uh, out of Clemson. And so I think that once they figure that out, you saw how, how well Simmons played, especially opposite of David Collins. So. Will they get that creative with Sanders? We know that Sean Payton loves creativity, I think, on both sides of the ball. So, yeah, I think that we will see something like that. I think they're on, on to something for sure. So when it happens, you can be like, yeah, I talked about it <laughs> with BK, and, and I thought that that's something they might do. He is Brandon Cristal, ladies and gentlemen. Broncos, an NFL insider for KOA Radio in Denver. You can follow him on Twitter at BK Denver Sports. BK, thank you so much once again for joining us. But before we let you go, we got two more questions for you. First, uh, as I mentioned in the intro, training camp starts exactly two weeks from today uh, for the Broncos. Which position battles at training camp will you be paying attention to the most and why? Probably that back end of the receiver group, only because I'm curious to see, can K.J. Hamler find a way to make the roster? Mm. And we know they obviously like guys like Kendall Hinton, Brandon Johnson, and some of these young guys that have been around. And and they brought in all those other veteran or put veteran in quotes but veteran receivers that that Sean Payton's familiar with or the coaching staff or, or personnel groups familiar with so I think receiver is really fascinating and then how does the corner rotation shake out right is it Damari Mathis's spot as a number two guy because it's funny you talk about I don't know and maybe somebody at, at PFF or, or somewhere has the advanced metrics but I don't know if you were to grade it if there's been a corner that's come in as a rookie and played significant snaps in a game like Demari Mathis had to against the Chargers on that Monday night game in October that had the four pass interference calls that had as rough of a first I want to say that was a start for him, but certainly first game for you know for a significant playing time as Demari Mathis had. But then to see the progress he made throughout the year and to see the confidence grow, is he just penciled in as the as the starter outside and base defense opposite of Pat Sertan? Maybe so. And 
we know what K1 Williams is and what he isn't, and we know that Vance Joseph's going to use a nickel probably a little differently than the way Ejiro Vero did, but I still am fascinated to see how that group shakes out with the addition of Riley Moss to corners. And then safety with Kareem Jackson as part of the leadership group, and and I think that's the big reason he was brought back, but is he a down-and-down-out starter, or does he rotate with Caden Stearns and P.J. Locke? Does J.L. Skinner make the team as a fifth safety? And so I think that I guess those three areas are, are the most interesting to me. If there was true center competition for Lloyd Cushenberry, that would be fascinating too. But as I was told by somebody in the personnel department, when they were spending all that money in free agency and then getting towards the draft, hey, are you looking at centers as well? I basically was told you can't fix everything all at once. So, and maybe by bolstering everything around Lloyd Cushenberry and the development of Quinn Minerts and the additions of McGlinchian Powers and Bowles coming back, you'll get the best version of Lloyd Cushenberry, who's extremely smart and has the leadership qualities you need in a center. He just hasn't shown the consistency. We've seen him get stronger, but is he strong enough to hold up, especially against the best defensive lineman, interior defensive lineman in the league? I don't know. That remains to be seen, but with no real comp. I think no real competition with apologies to Luke Wattenberg or, or anyone else. I think that, and I guess Alex Forsyth, right, falls into that as well. I think that receiver, corner, and then safety rotation is is what I'll be keeping an eye on. Again, assuming all things being equal and everyone's healthy, right? I mean, you know, people get banged up and that changes things. But going into camp, that's kind of what I'm keeping an eye on. Yeah, thanks for that heads up, BK. And last but not least, according to BetMGM, the Broncos over-under win total for this season is actually set at 8.5. When I first saw that number, I was kind of shocked to tell you the truth. I think that's a little too uh, bullish in my opinion, but I kind of get uh, the hype because of the Sean Payton and this idea that he can make Russell Wilson uh, more efficient, as you mentioned earlier. So my last question is, will the Broncos win more or less than eight games this season? I want to say more. I've certainly been wrong in, in recent years, right? But when I, I look at the schedule, it's funny, too, because everyone talks about, oh, they play a first-place schedule, play a last-place schedule. That's really only a difference of two games in a 16-game schedule. It's now a difference of a third game. And so their third game is against Washington. And I don't really know what Washington is, whether it's Sam Howell or anyone else at quarterback. But I don't know exactly what you have with Washington. So that's the third game you get. But then your other two last place games are the Browns, who should be better now that all the distractions from Deshaun Watson are are behind them. And then the the last one's at Houston, right? So yeah. those are your three last place games. And that could be enough. Is Miami as good this year? Can you go to Miami and steal a win? Are the Raiders better with Jimmy Garoppolo than they were with Derek Carr? We'll see. The Jets are going to be interesting. I don't know what the Jets will be, though. And so, you know, yeah, at Buffalo against Minnesota, you're at home. Minnesota was a lucky team last year. They they won all those games, but there were, there were elements of luck involved. You think about that Bills-Vikings <laughs> game. Are they going to split with the Chargers? Will they finally beat the Chiefs? At New England's never been easy for the Broncos or anyone in the Bill Belichick era, but Mac Jones isn't Tom Brady, at least not that we've seen yet to give you any indication. So, and then you, you also have, you know, Green Bay. What are they going to be at Chicago? Will Justin Fields take take a jump? Do you like where the Bears are at? They've obviously had to strip some things down. They had to trade Roquan, which they obviously turned into a couple of players in a lot of ways. We look at how they spent the money. But so I'm not going to load up and bet a lot of money. I'm still kind of 
disappointed myself for betting a little bit of money at 65 and a half wins for the Colorado Rockies, <laughs> who uh, feels like are going to have almost no chance. So that's money thrown away. So I don't think I'm going to bet it. But if I were to bet it, I would probably bet the over in large part because of Sean Payton. You saw, you know, ESPN, they gave the Broncos, they rated the Broncos roster 13th top to bottom. That includes quarterbacks in the league. That's behind the Chargers and behind the Chiefs. They had the Chiefs, obviously, number one, and there's no reason they wouldn't. And they had the Chargers, I think, seventh. You know, the Chargers have had a hell of a roster. They've had a hell of a roster throughout most of Phillip Rivers' time there. It's can that roster stay healthy, and it just hasn't consistently, or they blow a huge lead in the playoffs. The first time they're there. But the Broncos, if they have the 13th best roster and play like it, that certainly puts them in the playoffs, right? Uh, or right there in the playoff mix. And so in order to be there, you're certainly going to be on the other side of eight and a half wins. So I think Vegas knows what it's doing. At the same time, I'm not going to say, yeah, bet your mortgage on them hitting the over because I thought for sure last year they would do it and they won five games. Very, very, very astute analysis there, BK. And he is Brandon Cristal, ladies and gentlemen, NFL insider and Broncos insider for KOA Radio in Colorado. Follow him on Twitter at BK Denver Sports. And Thank on you threads. Once and on threads too, absolutely. Thank you again, Brandon. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back again ASAP with more exciting content as training camp gets even closer. So stay tuned. Also, be sure to follow me on Twitter at dcrom 59 and on Instagram, TikTok, and as BK said, now threads at Sports Crunch with DCROM. And remember, that's Crunch with a K. For Brandon Cristal, this is David Cromwell saying so long and whatever you do, please choose love, please choose kindness, please choose compassion, please choose selflessness, and above all, please choose empathy, which are the core characteristics of the best teammates and teams in any sport. Until next time, Cats Kittens, stay cool. <laughs>